Hello, my name is John Campion and I'm the West Mercia Police and Crime Commissioner. Welcome to the latest in our series of Safer West Mercia podcasts. I'm joined today by a, a guest from West Mercia Police who I'll allow to introduce themselves. Sean, do you just want to introduce yourself and, and your role within West Mercia Police? Yeah, I'm uh, Inspector Sean Brennan. I'm the uh, Police uh, Safer Neighbourhood Inspector for South Telford and I'm also the Project Delivery uh, Lead for the Safer Streets Initiative in Brookside. Excellent and that's what we're uh, going to be chatting about today in today's podcast in, is around that Safer Streets uh, work up in Telford. So tell us a little bit about yourself. We don't just unbox an inspector, uh, a police inspector. You've uh, got a, a long and varied career in West Mercy Police. So how, how did it come about? How did you end up being sit where you uh, being sat where you sit today? Uh, well, I've been a police officer for uh, 17 years, um, both uh, here in West Mercy since 2011. Um, prior to that, I was with uh, West Midlands Police. Um, I've got strong links to Telford. I live in Telford. Um, I grew up in Telford, in fact, in Woodside in the 1990s. Uh, we lived in a police house uh, on Park Lane in Woodside, and my father there was uh, the police officer for the local area. Um, so uh, I've, I've sort of taken on the baton, so to speak. Um, so as I, as I said before, I'm currently the inspector in charge of the uh, six safer neighbourhood teams for South Telford. Um, and essentially that's everything south of the M54 motorway. So that's the communities of uh, Brookside, uh, Woodside and Maidley, Sutton Hill, Dorley, uh, the Nedge and uh, Lawley and Overdale. So um, how did you come to be involved in, in this particular project around the Safer Streets Fund? How, how, did, it, how did it all come about? Well, in respect of um, Brookside, which of course is one of my six areas, um, for some time now we've been working hard to reduce crime and antisocial behaviour in that area. Um, but ultimately, uh, there's only so much that we can do with police resources alone. We can put boots on the ground, we can make arrests and that kind of thing, but we were keen to do more than that uh, with more. And uh, fortunately, in January 2020, the Home Office uh, it was very timely, in fact, launched the Safer Streets Fund uh, and invited uh, all police, crime com- uh, police and crime commissioners uh, across the country to apply for funding for crime prevention plans to reduce uh, acquisitive crime. That was the brief. So theft and robbery, uh, which is essentially acquisitive crime is anything where there's, there's a material gain uh, by the offender. Um, the Home Office actually at the time made £25 million available um, nationally and uh, each force or each PCC was uh, advised that they could bid for a maximum of uh, just over half a million, £550,000. Um, and uh, we were expected to submit with yourself uh, an evidence-based bid that um, met the required standard. Um, those bids were evaluated by a panel and a final decision around the funding was reached in uh, August of this year. Um, and I think it's fair to say as soon as we heard about the fund that we knew that it would be the right fit for Brookside. Um, so very quickly we were able to form a, a project team, uh, myself as the delivery lead, uh, your commissioning team uh, and, and yourself, and they were fantastic. Um, and Karis Baskerfield uh, also deserves some of the credit. She's the uh, crime prevention officer for Telford. So she's essentially our technical lead. Uh, and also not to forget uh, Jazz Badesha from Telford and Reeking Council. And Jazz is the uh, service delivery manager in charge of community cohesion. Um, so from the outset, really, the key partners on this project have been uh, West Mercia Police, uh, yourself, the uh, Police and Crime Commissioner, 
uh, and Telford uh, and Reeking Council and um, we've worked in partnership um, really to gather the uh, the evidence that was required and submit that bid to the Home Office against some really tight deadlines uh, and uh, thankfully in August we found out that we had in fact been awarded the full amount of £550,000 to um, and we'll get, the intention is to use that money uh, to, fund, to, to fund a package of measures um, to reduce acquisitive crime in Brookside. So, uh, you know, a really great project and uh, it's great to hear, uh, Sean, those uh, partners listed out and, uh, you know, some of the key uh, key uh, movers and shakers in, in Telford getting stuff done. And for me, that's what's excited about this particular project. It's actually getting stuff done um, in an area and uh, there should be, there should be, feel a palpable difference in the area um, once the project uh, is, is fully uh, underway and indeed making that difference. What, um, what made it, what made it, pick, what made Brookside um, be the area of, of choice rather than, you know, elsewhere? What, what, what why would Brookside the standout, um, uh, you know, target for uh, going after this pot of money? Well, um, I mentioned before that um, as the police, we've been working hard to reduce crime on the Brookside estate for a long time now. Um, you know, I would caveat that and say that Brookside is uh, a safe place to live. Um, but I think it's important when we talk about uh, why it's important to understand uh, some of the historical contact, uh, context and legacy issues um, that stretch back really to when the estate was first built in the 1960s. Um, so for those that don't know, Telford is a new town. Um, it was only designated as a new town in 1963 um, when the old towns of Maidley, Dorley, Wellington um, and Oakengates were um, brought together and incorporated into a single town. And then what happened after that was is that there was then a major programme of development um, that began in 1967 um, with the construction of the Sutton Hill estate. That was the first of the, uh, the major estates. Uh, and then later on, we saw the development of Brookside and Woodside. Um, and, and the brief at the time when these estates were built was is that they should be built as quickly as possible, as cheaply as possible. Um, and uh, they they actually followed uh, what's called the American Radburn principle. Um, and this this is this wasn't used. This principle had been around since the 1920s, but uh, it came over to this country in the 60s. And this is where groups of houses were arranged together in series of cul-de-sacs, all pointing towards a, a, a super block, if you like, in the middle, encircled by a main perimeter road. So that's what we have, particularly on the on the on the um, on the estates in South Telford. And the concept was all about not having any through roads through the estates. So the idea was that residents could walk everywhere. Um, it was supposed to be garden cities for the motor age, bearing in mind, you know, it's the pre-war era. It's the 1960s. You know, we're seeing a big rise in car ownership and that kind of thing. And, and actually, if you know Telford, if you come to Telford, this is also evident in, 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 the, in the number of roundabouts that we have in Telford. So Telford was clearly built with the car in mind principally. Um, but unfortunately, where the Radburn principle went wrong in Britain is, is that the planners, for, for whatever reason, uh, decided to flip the concept on its head. Uh, the, American, uh, the American principle had the properties facing out onto the street so that you'd come out your house, you'd get into your car and you'd drive to wherever you needed to go. But the British planners, in their wisdom, turned that around so that the properties, the frontages of the properties faced inward so that then you ended up with the cars relegated to the rear parking car uh, courts where they were obviously vulnerable to car crime. And you can imagine then this created the ideal conditions for crime and antisocial behaviour to flourish. 
And then all of a sudden you have these high density estates all facing one another, very permeable networks of alleyways and walkways, crisscrossing and that kind of thing. And that's what we've been left with. So those are the sorts of criminogenic conditions that we're trying to reverse through the project where we can. And what we're trying to do here essentially is de-radburn the area. So we're making it less permeable to crime and antisocial behaviour, uh, increasing lines of natural surveillance and the chances of being caught on CCTV and that kind of thing. And Brookside has never really benefited from the same level of regenerative funding that some of the other areas in Telford and West Mercia have benefited from in the past. So, for example, a few years ago, there was a multi-million pound regeneration of the Woodside estate, which transformed utterly the look and feel. Certainly from when I used to live there in the 1990s, it's a very different place today. And it's fair to say that Brookside has been left behind in some respects. And in fact... Uh, we know this. This is reinforced by a piece of research that, that also helped to inform uh, and reinf reinforce our bid. A piece of research by the local trust carried out last year, and they looked at a range of data sets, uh, including the index of multiple deprivation, uh, it's called the IMD, and produced a report that uh, argued that uh, the focus for a long time has been on deprivation in the city centres. Um, but today, actually, um, the deprivation is very much in the towns and conurbations on the peripheries of these urban centres that are falling further and further behind. And Brookside was identified in that report as being in one of 206 so-called left-behind wards in Britain. And that's a definition that can be applied to approximately 4% of the wards in the West Midlands region. So a very small number of, of wards meet that definition, unfortunately. Um, and these are areas, Brookside is an area where the average funding per head for local government is lower than uh, the national average for England. But also when you compare these areas against similarly deprived areas in more urban areas, um, the, the funding per head is lower, is less. So these are areas are falling behind further in terms of living standards, health, uh, employment, education, and, and of course, importantly, crime. Um, and so we, we use that report as a framework. Obviously, the historical context that I talked about was very, very important also uh, in convincing yourself that Brookside should be the primary bidding area. Um, and also we complemented that with crime data, which unfortunately did show that there were higher than average levels of acquisitive crime in Brookside. And so all of those things taken together form the basis of our case to you um, that uh, Brookside really deserved to be the primary bidding area for West Mercia Police. You've, um, uh, Sean. Your, I hope you don't mind me saying it, but the, your passion and the and the and the and the logical basis of your of your views are very compelling to listen to. And uh, I've been involved in some projects over the years which haven't felt so based in uh, in science and academia and reason. And uh, it, it was your particular uh, passion and, and your uh, the way it's articulated that I think that makes this project so so compelling. But also the confidence that it will make it will make a difference uh, and. That's one of the things I just wanted to touch on is that um, some of it is about improving uh, community safety, home security, really traditional measures, uh, actually, um, and indeed uh, trying to balance out some of the inbuilt disadvantage uh, of the way that the estate is designed that you, that you have touched on. So just bring it to life for some of our listeners about what sort of measures those are, those are likely to be around that, uh, how it will feel more safe uh, as an environment and how homes could be uh, better protected as a result of this project. Yeah, well, you, you touched there on the science, and I think that's really important. That you know what we what we are 
striving to achieve uh, is underpinned ultimately by by science um, and everything uh, every one of the measures uh, that we're funding is, is, is evidence-based so it's tried tested and evaluated and the starting point really for us is uh, you know if you've ever studied crime and criminology uh, we uh, we use the problem analysis triangle and that derives from routine activity theory um, and that's a theory that tries to explain how and why crime occurs. So the theory goes that, that when a crime occurs, three things happen simultaneously at the same time and in the same, same place. So you have a suitable target that's available. You have a lack of a suitable guardian to prevent crime from happening. So that could be, for example, the police or it might be CCTV or whatever. And you have a motivated offender. So we take the problem. In this case, the problem is acquisitive crime. We frame it in the center of the triangle. And then on the outside, we have the offender. Uh, we have the victim or the target and the place. And we're interested in situational crime prevention strategies or techniques. So we will target all three aspects of the triangle simultaneously to remove the suitable targets to put those guardians in place in the form of cctv etc and to remove opportunities for offenders in order to maximize the effect on crime so in terms of um, in terms of actual uh, measures we start with the place so we're introducing 14 new alley gates into brookside and these are lockable gates that will go uh, some way i think to to, to de-rad burning the estate by making it less permeable um, the data in, in respect of alligators does show, in fact, that um, typically in, in areas where they're installed, they lead to a 43% reduction in burglary. So there's a massive, wow. that's massive a, reduction. That's a big impact, isn't it, from quite a simple measure? Yeah, it absolutely is. And, and of course, this is one measure out of you know a, a package of measures. So, you know, alligators make it harder to access alleyways. They create more private spaces. They make it easier for residents to identify the people that don't belong in the area. So they're very important. We're funding um, a fully costed housing enforcement officer employed by the local authority on a, on a, on a contract for 12 months. And their role on the project is to fo focus solely on improving living, living standards and holding rogue land landlords to account, which will have a knock-on effect in terms of the housing stock. We'll have fewer properties that are vulnerable to crime. We're spending uh, money on cutting back overgrown trees and hedges to improve what we call uh, natural surveillance. That makes it harder uh, for offenders to hide. And also, importantly, on image management. So we're cleaning up on graffiti, tidying broken fences and that kind of thing. And that links into another theory, which you may have heard about, um, uh, called broken windows theory. Um, tried and tested in, in New York in the uh, in the 80s and 90s. And this is where you have so-called signal crimes. Um, so these are minor crimes, such as, for example, graffiti and criminal damage. And the theory is, is that if we leave these types of crimes unchecked, they signal to people that crime is acceptable in that area. So that's very much what we're trying to prevent there. Um, we're funding a brand new youth shelter in a new location, further away from the play area and the main path that's used by local residents. Um, the idea being that that will help to reduce antisocial behaviour and that's part of the signal crime strategy that I talked about. And then uh, in, respect of, um, in respect of place, we're also uh, helping residents to set up a new neighbourhood watch scheme in the area. And then uh, we look, uh, we're looking also at the offender, so we funded a communications officer on a 12-month contract. Their primary role will be to generate publicity. 
um, to directly influence offender perceptions of risk. So, um, so that people will know that these measures are in place in Brookside and that if they come here to commit crime, then there is a very high chance uh, that they'll be caught. Um, an array of new 4G enabled CCTV cameras um, to be funded and, and those will beam high quality images back to a central control room um, and that means that CCTV coverage on the estate will be uh, significantly improved um, and also new LED street lighting um, that uh, again will improve the quality of lighting in the area so that will make people feel safer and bring potential offenders out into the open and then finally we're looking at the victim on, on the other uh, side of the triangle so um, we're handing out 150 crime prevention packs, installing 50 doorbell video cameras, uh, installing a top-of-the-range suite of home security measures at uh, 150 vulnerable properties to target those. Sorry, to target harden those, those addresses, and that will make it more difficult for offenders to break into those those houses. Uh, and that will be in the form of strengthened doors and window sets, door locks, and, and security chains. And then also uh, in relation to the blocks of flats that we have in the area, we're funding uh, uh, new strengthened maglock doors and intercom panels to tighten up security on the flats. So again, the thing to reiterate here is that all of the measures are proven. Uh, they're all tried and tested. There's, there's, there's strong empirical evidence uh, behind each and every one of them that uh, they, they do lead to significant reductions in acquisitive crime. A, a complete raft of measures, uh, you know, some of them quite overt, some of them quite covert, but the, a, a real raft of, uh, of, of the science being brought to life, uh, you know, with action. Um, obviously, these, this is people's homes. This is people might have lived there for uh, some generations. Um, and the public's confidence and buy-in to the, to the work is also... Um, also uh, important and uh, how I understand the project this isn't being done to the public this is also being influenced and in some parts led by them so just a little bit uh, from you Sean about understand about so our listeners can understand how the voice of the resident is, is heard and and how their views then shape the priorities for the work that you're you're helping to lead. Yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, you know, the the the, uh, the 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 public and local residents are uh, are also one of our key partners uh, on the project. And uh, um, in order to install the alley gates, we have to have what's called a public spaces protection order or PSPO, because ultimately what we're looking to do is restrict public spaces, public access, and rights of way, etc. Um, and these orders are authorised at senior executive level within the local authority uh, and the law actually requires that we engage with local residents in a statutory public consultation process um, to seek their views and opinions and also very importantly to take them into account during the decision making. So the consultation process uh, began in November and actually concluded a few days ago. And together with uh, with the local authority, we've been really busy. The local police team have been really busy uh, delivering surveys and newsletters to, to the residents and asking for their feedback. And that feedback has been overwhelmingly positive so far, I would say. There have been one or two concerns raised about the impact that rerouting pedestrian traffic could potentially have. And uh, in fact, I've got a residence meeting scheduled next Wednesday to, um, to hear more about that and address those concerns and, and talk about what we can potentially do to mitigate any potential impact. 
Um, but the important thing to get across here, certainly to local residents, is, is that numerous studies have evaluated those alligates, and there's at least 43 studies that I'm aware of. And consistently, they've identified that alligates have no displacement effect on crime and antisocial behaviour, because I know that was one of the concerns that, that actually we could potentially push crime and ASB out to the to the adjacent areas but actually there is no evidence that that happens because it's about taking taking away the opportunity for it to happen rather than it's happening anyway and it's moving it somewhere else yeah absolutely absolutely it is very much about taking away the opportunity um you know so so we're not we, 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 I'm, I'm confident that this this you know we, we won't see the problem pushed out into different parts of the estate or onto adjoining neighborhoods but of course you know what i will say is, is that we will as the safe neighborhood team as the local authority be monitoring that closely over the coming months and indeed years um and you know we will uh, take action where necessary to address uh, to address uh, any issues that, that we do see uh, as a result um, so we've also engaged with the residents about the streetlights. Um, the feedback around that, again, has been overwhelmingly positive. And uh, we are in the process also of engaging um, with local people, especially young people, about the youth shelter. It, um, it's, it's a project that uh, has happened at pace and uh, uh, there's often uh, governments in a hurry to see results, uh, commissioners in a hurry to see, see results. Um, you're uh, going full pelt, uh, it feels like, at the moment, and uh, uh, there's been an opportunity for us to bid for a, uh, some more funding for this particular project, which I know is uh, is underway. But do you just want to touch on how long it's likely that it will take some of these measures uh, to be implemented? And uh, if we do get that further pot of money, what's that likely to be? What's the layer on top, that, uh, that, it, that the difference that it would make? Yeah. Um, okay. So, well, the, the the funding for the project ends on the thirty first of March next year. So, you know, as you rightly say, we are working against a very tight deadline to ensure that all of the different aspects are delivered on time and also crucially uh, on budget. Um, of course, that's complicated by COVID somewhat and the fact that we've had to alter our approach to some elements uh, and tweak our approach as we've gone along and we've had to think creatively. So, for example, how do we run a public consultation process in the middle of a lockdown? Um, quite difficult. Um, but um, even when the funding period does end in March, the, the work will continue in terms of us then continuing to embed the project and harnessing the benefits and ensuring future sustainability and that kind of thing. And uh, you touched there on the on the further bid. Um, there is a further bid that we've submitted through yourself uh, for £275,000. Um, so the Home Office recently announced that PCCs could bid for an additional 50% of their existing funds to strengthen the, the ongoing project work. And so we've worked very closely with your commissioning team, uh, in fact, to submit that further bid. And we're currently waiting to hear back from the Home Office, but we we hope, we, we really hope that we can use that extra money to fund even more CCTV cameras than we'd originally planned, even more street lighting, uh, more grounds, cleaning and image management works. Uh, and we'll be releasing some more information about that very soon. So, so it literally will mean that we'll be able to, more, more of the uh, area will be uh, affected by some of the changes that you're talking about. So it's about more, more of the community uh, benefiting. And uh, for me, I, I think uh, government are keen to fund successful ideas and I'm proud that we got the funding in the first place. So fingers crossed that the, uh, that the second bid will be, uh, will be successful too, because um, for me, there's, there, there's, there's, there's some 
interesting and uh, and innovative bits within it but a lot of the principles are are pretty tried and tested there's a it's about making the difference of, of an understood problem and uh, for me it's a it's really really powerful uh, Sean a very big thank you uh, from me for uh, for joining today and to talk about the project but an even bigger thank you for your leadership in this area um, this is a, a partnership approach and absolutely so and you, you touched on the partners involved but I know your personal involvement in driving some of this forward so without that drive and enthusiasm I don't think it would happen at the uh, the at the pace urgency and indeed compelling uh, academic base that it's uh, that it comes from so it is a big thank you for me because I have no doubt this will make a difference to our communities uh, in Brookside but also the wider the wider parts of, uh, of South Telford so it, it is a big thank you from me. Thank you, John. That's uh, much appreciated. Thank you. And uh, and to our listeners uh, today, thank you very much for uh, for for hearing about that work um, in in South Telford. Um, and uh, we will put some links in the descriptions uh, around the uh, particular project that we've referred to. But it is more widely representative of the changing attitude within uh, West Mercia and indeed the wider community around tackling the underlying causes. Um, of the problems that we suffer today. Uh, we've heard uh, today around some of the issues associated with the way a, an estate has been designed and indeed then the, uh, the, the causes of the uh, concern that now exists uh, 50 odd years later. And whilst we can't knock down an estate and want to knock down the estate, it's right that we focus on fixing some of the underlying problems rather than just uh, dealing with the with the causes, uh, dealing with the outcomes of them, i.e., we won't police necessarily our way out of those problems, and that's represented to lots of communities across West Mercia. And I'm very keen to make sure that problem solving, that tackling the underlying causing approach, um, is at the heart of the way uh, West Mercia works with its community to keep us safe. So, a big thank you for me today for uh, listening to uh, our podcast. Uh, latest in the uh, series of the Safer West Mercy podcasts, and uh, please do check out the uh, the other podcasts that we have uh, available on a whole range of subjects, including uh, most recently uh, the White Ribbon uh, series of podcasts which focus on domestic abuse. Mm-hmm.